Actually, I'm going to invite you to turn to chapter 6. Will you turn to chapter 6? I'm going to do a few things, uh, some housekeeping here before I start the sermon. Um, There's not a lot of kids, like a little bin in the back with clipboards like this. And each week we're making these, and they're the sermon notes for kids. I guess adults can use them as well. And so each week there's going to be customized words like so these are words I'll probably use in my sermon and so kids as they're listening they can mark off my, my daughter Mary was doing it last week and we were sitting at the table after the service and she said dad when did you wait to the very end to use the word peace because I was waiting to fill that word in and I did that at the very end my benediction may God give you peace you are dismissed and and she filled that in she was listening so I wanted to let you know that we have that available. Julie does a great job, puts a lot of work into making that available. It also has just different things on there. So if, if you're at past the age of being in the kids in, back in the back with a junior church, or you just want to be in with your parents, or you want your kids in with you, we invite you to let them. Be. I, I want to introduce it by saying this, this sermon series is from 1 Timothy and at Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul says, I'm probably not going to make it, Timothy, on time. And so in the meantime, I am teaching you some things on how you are to behave in God's household, the church of the living God. He says, the family of God, the church of the living God, the, the buttress and pillar of the truth. And so the sermon series is, what does God want How does God want us to behave in God's household? Today I'm going to speak on embracing godly manhood. So so 50% of you might be sitting here thinking, this doesn't relate to me this morning. And I want to challenge you to say, I pray that it will do so. And I, I, want to give, I want to offer to you two things. I have two books that I want to give out at the end of the service. And, and I want to do this because I do think that God's people, as we grow, we need to take in good teaching that takes place in our church and in our small groups and all of that. But also, we, we need to learn. We don't have to be big readers where we read 50 books a year or 100 books a year, but maybe three or four, two or three or four Really solid, rich books that will impact our walk with God. And I have two that I want to give out today that relate to the sermon. And one for women. Now, I'm not going to ask a raise of hands because I don't think any woman will want to raise her hand for this one. It's called, She Got the Wrong Guy, Why Smart Women Settle. Um, <laughs> and Karen, put your hand down. Okay. Deepak Raju wrote this book. He's a counselor and associate pastor at Capitol Hill. And he wrote that because, and it's a challenge, look for these type of things and do not settle. And so you might have somebody you want to give it to that's related to this church, or you might want to read it. We would love to give this to you if you promise to read it. And so come up afterwards, and I'm not going to think... I'm not going to judge you for it. I, I'm going to say, great, she or they want to, to further their discipleship and thinking about these spiritual things. So I have this for you. And another great book, this is for anyone. It's called The Practice of Godliness by Jerry Bridges. 
I got this used, and it's so good. It's, it will help you grow in your devotion to God, leading to a life pleasing to God, if you have open hearts towards it. I, I want to give to those that will say, I'm going to read it for my growth in order that I could glorify God and be a blessing to the body. And so would you come up after? I ho- I'm praying that two people will feel burdened enough to say, I want that. I think that God would use that in my life. Men or women or young or old, come and take this. Come talk to me after along with the American gospel. So this morning I want to talk to you about godly manhood from First Timothy. So I just wrote a few notes on this. Young men, listen up. Men in this row, you young men, this is, where our, this is our young men row. There's a, sorry, there's a few young men back there too. Um, God calls you, okay? And married men with families, especially kids still in the home and looking around, there's a lot of you in here. God calls you to be growing now as a godly man as defined by this book. And, and single men, whether you're young and single or you're a bachelor and, and you're not sure if you'll get married or single again, divorce or, or you're a widower, God calls you to be growing as a godly man and has a great plan for your life. And older men, whether you be grandfathers or empty nesters, seniors, God's will is for you to embrace His his picture of what godliness means, even if it means that your greatest growth is going to take place from 65 to 85. And it, in some ways it should. And then you're sitting here and say, what, what if you didn't include me? Older women, would you listen to the sermon in a way that you would pray for your husband or your sons or sons-in-laws or your grandsons? and the men in this church because they're your brothers and sisters and grandsons in Christ. And, and single witch settle, that book says, don't settle. Don't settle for anything other than a godly man. Embrace what God has called men to be. And married women with families... Would you pray for your husbands and sons? And would you cry out to God for spiritual growth and pray that God will use you as a means, a gracious means of helping those men in your life? And next Sunday, if the Lord wills, I plan to preach on godly womanhood from 1 Timothy. So I want you to think about this. There is a difference between being a true biblical man and a boy who shaves. There's a difference between being a man that is good-looking and a man that cares so much about God looking good. There's a difference between being funny and refined and sharp and hot or cool, put together, hip. I I don't even know the right words now for it. Is it lit? I don't know what it is. Um, And, or hip. Um, One who is... Driven by things that the world, there's a difference between that and a person who knows what this world is made for and why they exist and that all these things that are cool right now will not last and the wear out. There's a difference. There are men in churches, in our church and other churches, There are all kinds of men. There's shallow men and there's self-centered men. There's lazy men. There's spiritually empty men. 
There's insecure men. There's angry men. There's passive men. There's worldly men. There's cowardly men. There's guilty men. There's irresponsible men. There's lusting men. There's men who are wise in their own eyes. All of which godly men used to be. And every man that's godly used to be in some of those categories. And they're still fighting those tendencies. But by God's grace, he progressively works in us through our history, through our lives, working sanctification because God in his mercy broke through history by sending his son to make the church full of godly men. That's God's intention. God, men, if you're in here, God intends. He, he's equipped it. If, you're, if, you're, if he's your father, and Jesus, your savior, is your brother, helper, your advocate, your mediator, he intends to work in your life from now to eternity to make you a godly man. God-centered, gripped by Jesus' love, proactive and responsible, full of integrity and clean conscience, disciplined, self-controlled, loving the home and responsibilities at church, examples and courageous type of men. Men, God calls you to godliness. He calls you to godly manhood. And you miss the major emphasis of 1 Timothy, written from Paul to Pastor Timothy, talking to a church congregation. If you don't hear Paul, at least under the, under the current of that letter, going, godly men need to be raised in this church because godly leaders need to be there. And those godly leaders need to disciple godly men. And that's what I intend, and that's how a church should behave itself as the household or family of God. In fact, you see that in three primary ways from 1 Timothy. So you see it first, if you were to read and read and read and read 1 Timothy 1, 2, 3, 1 through 6, and I encourage you to do that, do it again next week. It's not going to get old because we're going to keep coming here for the next six weeks. But you would find at least three ways this passage, these six chapters, commend godly manhood. One is through Paul's example. Two, through Paul's commands or instructions to Timothy. Timothy, you need to be this way as a godly man so you can lead your church in Ephesus. And three, he gives instructions to say, you're going to raise up overseers, elders, and deacons. These kind of men need to be like this. So let us all as men, all as a congregation... Let's just engage in this for a few minutes. As I study this, I, I kind of systematize it into eight characteristics. I know that's a lot. And so I, I'd encourage you to listen, all of you to listen to it this way. Listen to it with prayer. God, would you, if, you, if there's something that just hits me, maybe there's one or two things that are going to just hit me that I need to repent of and ask you to forgive me, help me with, and I need to really work on... That's one, pray for this. Pray, listen to the sermon with prayer. Second, listen to it with introspection. Say, okay, God, where do you want, where specifically, help me to see myself rightly. And, and women, children, don't nudge your dad or your brother and on the ones, don't give them a hint. <laughs> and then lastly, I, I challenge you to re listen to this sermon through faith in Jesus Christ. None of us can be godly apart from 
the mystery of godliness, Jesus Christ come into the flesh, come to rescue a bunch of messed up men and make us sons of God. Okay, here are eight things. Some of them I'm just letters, so you can go there further and you can ponder them, men. So here's the eight things. Godly men are God-centered. They're in the back of your bulletin. God-centered, gripped by God's love, his saving love. They're proactive. They're of good conscience. They're disciplined. They embrace family responsibilities. They're an example, and they're courageous. Now, I could have come up with more categories than this. I was sticking to 1 Timothy as my parameters. There's others about sacrificial, laying down your life love that he tells Paul in Ephesians chapter 5. There's other passages. I'm sticking with this passage. So I want, to, I want to bring them to you. And this first one is really important, guys. Godly men are God-centered. You want to be a godly man. And I, I said this a couple weeks ago. If, if you're a Christian, you want to be godly, at least at some level, because the Holy Spirit's in you. If you are godly or want to aspire to being a godly man, you must be God-centered. I said this a couple weeks ago. Godliness is devotion to God that leads to a life that's pleasing to God. And so, guys, to be godly... God is the center of everything. I want you to see that in verse 11 of chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6, 11. Look there. Paul says, But as for you, O But what he's going to ask of Pastor Timothy, he is going to ask of all members, all God's people, except for being able to teach, they're all to be take on these characteristics. O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. O man of God, are you God-centered? The godly man is growing to say, my eye is always towards God. And we'd see that in chapter 6, verse 15. He ends the letter and he's saying, Timothy, always remember to keep the good confession of the faith to the end because God is watching. You give that confession to the end that the judge will, he will someday vindicate you. Oh, men, we, we need, there's nothing more that our wives or our families or our future families or the people in our church need is for you to on your knees grow to know the God of the Bible personally to know to love him, to make the decisions of your life and your family driven by, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He is my maker and my savior. And is there anything more important than to know God? If you read 1 Timothy, you see Paul telling Timothy constantly this. He tells him, he says, he tells the rich, including the rich men, don't set your hope in money, set your hope in God. He says, Timothy, he says to Timothy, train yourself for godliness. And we are like those who have put our hope in the living God. Men, if you're a young father or if you're getting at the older stage of your life and you're, you're going through retirement right now, set your hope on God, not your retirement, not your wife or your kids or your job or your bank account or your career or your health. Put your hope in the only one that satisfies. 
Put your hope in the only one that demands your allegiance and your hope. Godly men are God-centered. I could say a lot about this. There's, there's a lot of passages in here. His, his life is to praise God. He, the godly man is to enjoy the gifts of God for the glory of God. Chapter 4, verse 4. More than anything, the godly man is going to care about pleasing God. I, a godly man is growing to be God-centered. A God-centered man loves and prioritizes the word. And it, a God-centered man says, Sunday mornings we gather and we worship God together as a family. This is a priority. This is a way that God works. And he does. I don't do it as a consumer primarily, like I'm going to get these services. I'm coming also to give. I'm coming to, to serve the rest of the body of Christ. A God-centered man is growing for his zeal for the glory of God. A God-centered man will get mad, but he'll get mad for God-centered reasons. He'll be angry at the way sin is affecting this world. He'll get angry at these things, and that anger will be produced in a righteous, loving way, not a brutal, forceful, violent, or a destructive way. A God-centered man prays. A God-centered man is one who's part of a local church knowing that he's part of the living God, part of the church of the living God. Men, I want to ask you this. Do, you, do the words of your mouth of this past seven days demonstrate that you're God-centered? What about the decisions of the last week or the last month? Do they did strength? What, what were they when no one was looking what about the general direction and decisions of your life, the way you like to spend your time or waste your time, the time with your family, your priorities? Do they say to a watching world, do they say to your kids, do they say to your grandkids, do they say to your spouse, do they say to someone else, God is really important to that person. He's a sinner, but God, he, God is central. We might ask, especially if you're younger, well, what if, what if I'll look weird? What if I look weird in that God-centeredness? And as we, we dig deeper, we realize what is weird just fades away. What matters is what's for eternity. And what matters is what, but I got God. And if I have God, what matters is that. Okay, the second thing fits right with this, guys. I, I don't miss this as something just the same. A godly man is gripped by God's saving love. I'm afraid that too many churches are filled with men and women, but men who prayed a prayer when they were Christian, when they were little. They got baptized. Yes, I got saved. Yep. Or even later on as a teenager, I went to camp. I got saved. I felt bad. I knew I needed a savior. I didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to go to heaven. I know that I believe that God is real and all of that. And, and you, did, you made these decisions and you, know, you think you know you're saved and you might be saved. But there's a difference between that and have you been gripped by God's saving love? There's some of you... I remember when, I don't want to pick on him, but I'm going to pick on him. I remember Jason Mole sharing his testimony, being a God-hater as a teenager, and God saving him as a teenager. And when he tells the story, he's crying. Now, all of us don't have those same kind of testimonies. But when the Holy Spirit works in our lives, 
We need to strive to be a church and we need to strive to be a people and we need to so read our Bibles to say, oh God, help me to be gripped by your saving love today. Help me, every one of us, even if I, I grew up in a Christian home, made a decision when I was five years old and then probably another decision at 10 or 12, I got baptized around 12. I never remember not believing in Jesus. But I need to strive to prayerfully ask God, Help me to remember what you rescued me from. It is as though we need to be walking around as men that knew we were dangling over the pit of hell and we were at any moment going to be thrown into it and some loving arm came and swooped us up, put us on safe ground and not only said, there you go, but said, enter my family. And you are forever blessed. That's what Paul is like in this letter. And he starts his letter by saying, in 1 Timothy 1, when he's writing to Timothy, he's saying, the grace, look at verse 14, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of all sinners of whom I'm the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, the foremost or the worst, Jesus might display his perfect patience, an example to those who are to believe in him eternal life. Young men and old, do you have a personal testimony? Do you know that you have been rescued from such a horrible fate and you've been brought into the kingdom of his dear son? Do you act like it? Have you been gripped by that? If you don't, it doesn't mean you're not saved Ask God for it. Ask help to go after it. Ask God to let your life be dominated by, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I was a great sinner. He's a greater savior. Because it's, see, your manhood needs to be flowing out of that. So you show forgiveness because you know God forgave you. You show mercy because he's shown mercy to you. You show kindness. You care about the lost because you just know how if it wasn't for the grace of God, there go I. A godly man is growing in a heartfelt appreciation of this gospel. That's why, watch this gospel video, American Gospel, Christ Alone. Watch it, not so you can learn things, so you can answer a quiz. But watch it to go, he did that for me. That's my experience. That's my testimony. As you listen to the gospel unpacked in that video. Husbands, you're called to love your wives and lay down your life for her. And you need to know that kind of love firsthand and how much he loved you so you can sacrifice for her. What is your story, dear older saint? Have you been gripped by your God's love or has it just grown cold? Has it been a long time that the Holy Spirit has freshened, just refreshed you with his grace and love? Would you know that you are only here by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? And you will only be kept unto heaven by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is not by your works, and it is a miracle. He saved you. And we must never get over that miracle. A godly man is God-centered, and he's gripped by saving love. Third, he's proactive rather than passive. A godly man is proactive. This is a big one, guys. This is big for young guys that are adulting 
and entering into adulthood for millennials, generation Xers, but for any age. A godly man is proactive and not passive. If you read these, this letter, you see Paul telling Timothy, train for godliness. Not sit around and go, will godliness come to me? It doesn't, he doesn't say, well, sit around and hope you'll get godly and get righteousness. He says, pursue righteousness, godliness. That's six, chapter 6, 11. Pursue love and faith and steadfastness. He tells them to flee greed. That's verse 11. When he says flee these things, he's talking about greed. Run from them. Be proactive. Don't just sit there and get swooped up by temptation. Train yourself for godliness. I said that a couple weeks ago. It isn't a passive action. It is taking responsibility. It's Men, godly men are not lazy men. They're responsible men. They're growing to take initiative. How often is it true in the churches of Jesus Christ where are the men are sitting watching their wives take action? It is the wives that go to study the word of God. It's the wives that take spiritual things. It is the wives that say, let's do this as a family, spiritually speaking. And it should be in a normal circumstance. I praise God for godly women who stand for the faith in God-centered ways for their family when that husband is lacking. And there are some of you in this room that are that way. And I praise God for his grace in your life. It is so difficult. Oh, that God's men would repent and be proactive leaders that humbly and carefully lead their families. A godly man follows Jesus and serves proactively, not reactively. They say, there's something that needs to be taken. I'm not going to wait on it. I'm not going to be pushy or jump, but I'm going to care about that need. Do you just let go, men? Do you just let go and let her? Do you sit around and wait until you get older? Then you might be a spiritual leader. Are you the person that takes responsibility for the spiritual health of your family? If you have a family. Married and singles, do you take spiritual responsibility for others in the church that are are younger or less spiritually mature than you going after them? I don't care if you have a title in the church. You have a title. You're a part of the member of the body of Christ here. You get a directory. And pray proactively. Who in your family will say, let's go read the Bible, or we're going to go to church today, or we're going to go be part of this small group, or we're going to go serve in this way? That's what we as a family do. Husbands, do you know what is going on in your family? Or do you just rely on, on her to take care of that? I'm not sure what my son is doing or watching, playing with. My daughter, I, I don't know. I, I just assume she's going to protect the kids. No. Husbands and fathers and men, proactively we say, we are called to a task. And we see this, this flavor throughout to Paul, to Timothy, to the pastors. Proactively, train yourself for godliness. Go after these things. Pursue these things. Don't just sit back thinking they're going to come your way. Are you enjoying the luxury I just want, this is the last thing I want to say, men. Men, are you enjoying the luxury that others are showing much more proactivity and responsibility than you are? And you're glad they're doing it because if they didn't do it, nobody would do it. Are you enjoying the luxury of that? How long does God want you to enjoy that luxury? Instead, be part of that. 
Oh, come to pastors or deacons or other members that are involved in ministries, but not just ministries, just serve the body. Have people over, take them out, get to know them, reach out to them. Maybe it's joining the church or saying to the church and, the pa- and saying to the church and the pastors, you can count on me. Will you be my pastor? Will you pray for me? I want to pray for you. I want to serve this body. I want to use my gifts and I want to be accountable in this body. Be proactive, men. I could say so much more about that, guys. That is one of our biggest besetting sins is to be proactive and we're just, we just need to reject passivity. And Paul just calls Timothy towards that. Train, pursue, go after God. Okay, the fourth thing I want you to see, this is, I know that these are a lot and you're like, but you said last one's important. Yeah, that one's important too. A godly man, I mean, I put it this way, a godly man prioritizes a good conscience. There's not one man in here who has a perfect conscience all the time. A conscience that is at peace and is good conscience and doesn't, isn't muddied by sin and guilt. But through the Jesus Christ, he forgives us. And we need godly men fight against a dirty, seared, messed up conscience and embrace a good conscience. Several times Paul writes to Timothy and says, our aim is this, love that it might be with a good conscience. Meaning, Pastor Timothy, you go preach in love, but make sure that your life is matching what you're saying. Make sure, fathers, when you teach your family, those kids know, do as dad says and does. Though dad's not perfect, I see character in dad. I see that dad wants to follow Jesus, and when he messes up, he makes Amends. He asks for forgiveness. He repents. I've seen tears of repentance from dad or from my husband or from whoever it is. Men, we must be like this. In this passage, he's going to say in chapter 2, I desire when you gather together men, this, this is what it says, men are to pray lifting up holy hands. So what if all our men, okay, I'm just going to do this, this is weird. Men, put your hands up. Okay, Okay. you put it down. Thank you for submitting. I know nobody likes to be asked to do this. Okay, he says, men pray lifting up holy hands. Now, the point really wasn't lifting up your hands. When they prayed, they would do that. His point was holy hands. When I gather, men are to be have holy hands. They're to have hands set apart to God. Their heart, it just, it was a metaphor for saying they have a good conscience. Men, I'm afraid that we don't serve well our wives, our kids, or, or our future wives if we're not married, or others well is because, oh, I, I, can't, I can't take that step in membership, or I can't stay, take that step of leadership in my family. I can't do this. I can't stand up to, my wife is struggling in this area. She's godly in so many areas, but she's struggling in this area, and she needs a leader to help her in this. But who am I? Because she knows all my faults, and I haven't taken care of them. I'm a luster and I'm lazy, and I'm all of these things. And so men just go on and on because they don't have a good conscience, and they don't lead. And Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, the spiritual leaders of your church need to have a good conscience because they need to lead the rest of the the men in church to be godly. And how do we get a good conscience? You might be sitting here and go, 
got me, Pastor. I don't always have a good conscience. I have sin that's hidden at times. I haven't, I haven't confessed my sins to the Lord. I, I'm dealing with things or I haven't dealt with things rightly. Um, how, do, how do I go after it? It begins by confessing our sins to our Father in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only answer to a clean conscience. Jesus came to take away our sins. Jesus came in order to pay for your lust, for your struggle and battle against pornography, for your struggle against laziness or not leading in the home. He came in order to take away our sins and take away the guilt so we can look before God with a clean conscience. And you say, well, how? I just confessed my sins to God in Jesus' name and He says, I forgive you. And then we need to affirm that He forgives us in the gospel. This gets back to point two, being gripped by His love, the forgiving love. And then, with the help of the Holy Spirit, pursuing the power to fight the sin. It means enter, that's why no Christian needs, can live a life without the church. They need brothers and sisters helping them. So you're struggling with sin, guilty conscience, you confess it to God. You, hey, brother, can you help me? Will you pray for me? I struggle with this. Yes, they're going to know your struggles. They're going to know you're a sinner. They're going to know that you have struggles, and that's good. God wants us to humble ourselves and get the help of one another. Where in your life do you have a guilty conscience? Where you haven't run to Jesus for forgiveness and help. He cleanses. We don't come and meet him halfway. He has to remove our guilt. Where in your life do you need to go to a wife, your wife or your mom or your parents, young men or young women? Where do you need to go to somebody that you know and you need to, because you sinned against them as well and need to confess that or confess that you haven't been a leader and therefore you're kind be. Oh, the step towards God-centeredness and in appreciating God's love is through the confession that comes in Christ Jesus. Number five. So, God, good conscience, number four. Number five, discipline. I'm, I'm going to go through these pretty quickly now. Discipline, I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but if you read through this letter, they're to be sober-minded. They're to be self-controlled. Young men, old men, we need to be respectful and we're not to be a drunkard. That was, they're not to be violent. They're not to be double-tongued, telling the truth. They're not to be greedy. 1 Timothy 3, 2 through 3 is where he lists these things for an elder, an overseer. And in chapter 6, he says they are not to be focused on money, but instead on investing their wealth for the glory of God. If you drink, you do it to the glory of God, but not a drunkard. And, and men... How do we fight dis the discipline areas of our lives? Are we just addicted to Netflix or YouTube or PlayStation? Young men on video games is just as a big deal as, as, as teenagers. Or, or maybe it's, my family knows I love guns. God, eh. But guns, yes. Or cars need to fall before God and say, God, help us. We need to ask our brothers and sisters to help us to enjoy the good things that you've given to me, but to enjoy them with a the control that says they're not a controlling thing. God is. 
this food and drink, this Netflix or guns or whatever, they can be for the glory of God, but only if they can be for the glory of God. But I live for something other. What controls me is something way more satisfying. The one who loved me and gave himself for me. My father is my friend. And he loves me and he watches over me and I want to know him. And I want to push away things that are going to keep me from knowing him. It's number five. Number six, I've already kind of said this, but they embrace husbands of one wives. I'm going to talk about this in a few weeks or actually after Easter about the qualifications for an elder or pastor. Husband of one wife. They manage their house well. They're teaching their children submission. Husbands, I'm just going to say this. Godly men, if you are a husband or as you, have, you have a family, you take care of your family, you're responsible for them, you care for them. John Bunyan, the guy that wrote Pilgrim's Progress, said that husbands to be, are to be such a believing... He says, oh, that we be such a believing husband to your believing wife that she may say, God has not only given me a husband, but such a husband that preaches to me every day the way Christ is to his church, not by words, but by their actions. And that is sacrificial love. If you were to continue to read First Timothy, you'd also see, seventhly, that a godly man cares to be an example. Young Timothy, don't let anybody despise you because you're young. Men up in the front row, don't let anybody look down on you just because you're 13 or 18. Or you're 20 or 25. But right now, be an example to rest of believers, an example in speech and conduct and word and impurity. Older men in this church, you are called to be in examples too. Your, your ministry heightens as you get older to the younger men. You are to be a place where you are to be godly yourself and therefore be an example of godliness and invest in their lives. Be a source of wisdom and love and care. The last one that I'm going to say is if a godly man is courageous. They're going to fight the good fight, 612. Paul told Timothy, wage the good warfare. you got a war to fight. Fight it. Don't empty your, abandon your post. Guard the good deposit. Don't let go. Don't run away. Godly men are courageous. They're going to stand up. They're going to be bold. Paul was telling Timothy, fight heresy. Fight wrong teaching in the church. And you're, it's going to cause conflict, but you stick with it and don't Give up because you have set your hope on the living God. That's, that's a lot. I know that. But maybe one or two things that God would speak into you. Godly men. O man of God, we are to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight. Older men that are here today, we should hope in God and not in our pensions or retirement. Let God-centeredness that goes often and always to the word of God and love of Christ. Be proactive in your old age. Be an example and reach out to those who are younger. Confess your sins to your family where you failed and move forward to help others. Younger men, don't be controlled by the lies of this world, the flesh and the devil. Money, the praise of people, your friends, Social media, all of those things can be traps to take your gaze away from something that really is satisfying Jesus. And young, and 
Young men that are growing into adulthood already care less about how you look to your friend or an attractive girl and more about how you want God shown off to the world. How do we do this? I, okay, at this point, I hope I haven't been preaching law to you. Do this, be God-centered, be this, be this, be this. I want you to hear this with all these eight things that I sit here as a man, as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, as a neighbor. This can come on me as a burden or it can come on me as a God's word as a promise and a blessing only if we embrace, embrace the mystery of godliness. The last verse of chapter 3 of 1 Timothy said, Great is the mystery of godliness. And it directs us to a person. Jesus came in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit. He he went back into heaven. He was proclaimed on the earth. He's going to return. Look to Jesus. Jesus is the mystery of godliness. Only Jesus was God-centered like we could ever be. Only Jesus was gripped by God's love and showed his love in the fullest degree. Only Jesus proactively went to the cross and would not be swayed from anything else. Only Jesus was courageous like we're called to be. Only Jesus cared for his family to the point of laying down his life for us to make us his brothers and sisters. Only Jesus was holy enough with a full and clean conscience. And that Jesus comes to us and says, just embrace me. I bring you forgiveness and I give you power. You embrace me and I will be your righteousness. What you can't be, I am. And I forgive you and I'm going to help you do the job of being a man in this world today. We look to Christ. Look to Jesus as the source of your godliness. Look to the one who gave you saving love. Oh, I pray that we would leave a heritage to the next generation and the generations after of godly men being raised up as men like our Savior Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us as we close this service. I pray that if there's anyone here that has not received your love, I pray that you would help them this morning to be saved. God, there might be some men or women in this room that have not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And would you help them to be gripped by the fact that they need a Savior, their consciences are dirty, and only Jesus can take away that sin. And I pray they would, they would do that today. I pray that they would surrender their lives to Jesus. God, for us that have been saved, I pray that we would, by your grace, walk in godliness, little by little, more and more, by your help.